Welcome to the WCAPS 5 podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. Vive. Vision. Impact. Voice. So today we are talking with Daniel White um, about mentorship. So why don't we start with introductions? Um, I am Gabrielle Gay. I currently work at Catholic Relief Services uh, with a focus on impact investing and private sector engagement. Uh, My background is in justice studies and uh, global business management. Um, I've always had service in my DNA, proud Peace Corps, um, returned Peace Corps volunteer, proud AmeriCorps alum, uh, also always have worked in um, international development um, and have experience at places such as Management Sciences for Health um, and IBM and BioXL among others, um, and also very involved in different networking groups to include, you know, some of those alumni organizations um, with Peace Corps and such, Rotary International, um, and Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. So very glad to be here and to be having this conversation um, around such an important um, concept, mentorship. Um, So, Dan, if you would like to introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks for having me, Gabby. First of all, um, I remember the conversations we were having when you were uh, trying to figure out grad schools and where to go and GRE studying and all that. So it's it's good to be back. Um, So I'm Dan White, uh, West Point graduate, uh, former field artillery officer. Uh, I was privileged to lead soldiers both stateside and overseas in East Asia and the Middle East. Uh, for about six years. My last assignment in uniform was serving as the face of the field artillery branch. So I would go around and promote the branch to cadets around the country uh, with actually a special focus on um, black and brown folks and women as the branch was opening up and created the first uh, HBCU uh, focused um, marketing campaign and also work on strategic issues at the branch. And then when I got out of the military as a captain, I spent some time at uh, the German Marshall Fund, Lockheed Martin, and U.S. Southern Command in uh, some strategy and policy roles. I just graduated from uh, Columbia University School of International Public Affairs, so SEPA with my grad degree. And currently, I am a member of the inaugural uh, McCain Strategic Defense Fellowship Program uh, at the Department of Defense. So I'm spending a year over in the Office of the Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs, uh, working on programming and resources uh, for the integration of the Space Force. And I say that to say, um, you know, these views do not represent um, the Department of Defense uh, in any way, shape, or form, and are merely my own. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So that's really great. Congratulations on your graduation and your new fellowship opportunity. That's very, very exciting. Um, I think we should just jump straight into the questions. Sure. So my first question for you is, um, 
what do you think it is to be a true mentor? Well, or a great I think, mentor. yeah. And, and I think, you know, mentorship is a word and mentors, it's kind of this word that we use pretty often. And I think being a true mentor is really a tough, ta- tuss, excuse me, tough task because it means something different for each mentee, right? So I think it revolves around preparing the mentee to make the next step in their career or kind of in their personal life. And then you can accomplish that through a variety of ways. So I know like in my life, a lot of my mentors and what I seek is for folks to essentially poke holes and sharpshoot my plans. So if I'm, you know, making the decision, hey, I'm ready to go to graduate school, it's not a matter of if I want to go to, um, it's not a matter of which graduate school, but it's more providing that strategic outlook to say, okay, do you, why do you want to go to graduate school? Is it the right time to go? Should you go to a full-time program or should you do a part-time program? You know, it's more of that big picture approach while simultaneously, once you have your plan, they say, okay, well, how about this? Well, how about that? Um, so I think number one, it's, it's, kind of sharpshooting and getting to the details. Two is providing a strategic perspective. Uh, and then three, I think just a source of inspiration. Um, you know, I think, you know, that's kind of the biggest thing. And, and for me, one of my mentors, uh, Colonel Heiss Gibson, kind of started with me when I was at West Point as a, um, as a, like an extra tutor. He was my tutor for my calculus course. And then it molded into something more. And now I can go to him with a variety of issues and options and questions, and he can provide the, the top level uh, discussion as well as the finite kind of approach to things. So I think it's both, but I think it really depends on uh, really what that mentee is looking for. That's a good point. Yeah, um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think inspiration is probably one of the biggest um, things I look for in a mentor just that example uh, that different things are possible. And I tend to gravitate towards folks who, when I'm looking for mentorship, that is, I tend to gravitate towards folks who kind of embody what my goals are. So that's a good point. Definitely inspiration. Sweet. Um, And My next question is just drawing from some comments that you made in a broader panel discussion that we had um, a little over a month ago on male mentorship, specifically for women of color. uh, You mentioned that candor is very important um, in terms of a quality that, you know, mentors and mentees alike should have. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, you know, I think candor is really the most important quality um, because the most valuable commodity we have is our time, right? So if a mentor is going to spend his or her time with you, they owe you to be candid in their approach and kind of hold you accountable for what you tell them. Because what you're telling your mentors is what your goals, what your dreams, and what your values are. So if they're just going to get on the phone or over email and just sing you your praises and say how great everything is or say how well you've done, then it might not be a best use of either their time or your time. So the nature of having that candid conversation when you have a tough question is what makes is kind of the linchpin or rather is the linchpin for that relationship with the mentor. 
Um, and I think it's candor that the mentor has to provide. And then also you as the mentee have to be ready for that. You know, that they're not going to tell you something that is so flowery or, or so nebulous that you might not know what it, it will be. But, you know, they might say it in an, in a rather sharp way, you know, and I think it's important to, to really get that. Yeah, that's true. Because otherwise, you know, you're just kind of spinning or the mentor would be spinning the mentee's wheel, so to speak, and not really helping them to advance towards their goals. So. Right. Yeah, I really, I really resonated with that. So I wanted to definitely highlight that and, and get your, your inputs on that for this podcast. So and I think it's important too. I think also is for that mentee to have tough skin, right? So if a mentor is going to tell you, "Hey, you know, your writing really isn't up to snuff for you to pass," let's say the Foreign Service Officer Test, right? The FSA. So you say, you know, you're communicating, you're like, all right, I want to work in foreign policy. This is a role that I really want to have. And your mentor might say, okay, cool. Like, what have you written? You know, show me some of your stuff or might, you know, put you on assignment, whatever it might be. And then the feedback might be, hey, I know you think you're good, but there's so much more that you can do. So let's talk about it. And it might be the first time that you have heard that, right? Because you might have, you know, been in class and been a good writer or been, an editor or all this sort of stuff. But when, when somebody tells you something that you're not ready to hear, um, it is tough to hear it the first time. And also with that tough skin, when the mentor is telling you something, they're going to know how to reach you and say it in a way that is going to necessitate your action. Right. So they know if they use certain words, will reference certain people in your life or reference certain people you might look up to, uh, globally, then you might get it a little bit more. And that's what that candor uh, is that the mentor is going to provide. And then you have to be ready to say, hey, you know, when I get on this conversation for, for 20 minutes or 25 minutes, I have to be ready. I got to have a pen and pencil, piece of paper, and I'm writing down and I'm trying to take a step back from myself and just think about what is the goal of this conversation. It's about getting better. So not getting in my feelings. It's not, it's not about being frustrated. It's about, okay, you know, I've heard this once or twice from other people, but I haven't heard it as direct as I'm hearing it right now. Yeah. That's great. That's a, I mean, that's a, a wonderful point. I mean, it just emphasizes the importance of really building a relationship with your mentor, or if you're a, a mentor building that relationship with your mentee, so that you know you can have those more pointed conversations that are a little more brutally honest, mm-hmm. and and really get to the the bot or get to real development and real um, meaningful you know suggestions and and growth. So I think that's great. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, and I think the other part too, you know, that those real conversations are happening in a place that is protected. You know, in in a safe space to where you're like, okay, I can be vulnerable here because that is that is what the space is for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that word safe space. So, yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, What do you think are some tools and approaches for finding that type of a a, a great mentor? Um, And. You know, what do you, what do you think your top three tips would be? Um, 
You know, I think the first one is always to be bold, right? So, you know, if there's somebody, all you need is one almost connection, I'll call it, mm-hmm. to get in touch with somebody. So if let's say, you know, a lot of folks, you know, we're all active on Twitter now and you notice somebody likes one of your tweets and you just happen, oh, you know, who's that? I don't really know who they are. And you find out, let's say they're a professor at uh, Boston University. And then you kind of find yourself going down the rabbit hole and be like, oh, wow. So this professor teaches international development. They got their PhD from MIT and they, they're working on a book. And then you start to get to know kind of them through their work. And then you can engage with them and just, find, you know, their emails on the academic website of that school of VU, right? So you could just engage and be like, you know, hey, sir, ma'am. Thanks so much for liking my tweet. I appreciate it. And then going straight into, I would love to get on your calendar for 15 minutes, you know, or there's an opportunity to where if there's really somebody that you want to talk to, figure out what is that one or two level of connection that you have, right? Is it a person? Is it a mutual interest? If, you know, there's somebody who went to the same undergraduate institution, if you lived in the same city, if you're the same sports fan, just use whatever you can to get in the door and just to be bold and just ask for time on their calendar, you know, and, you know, that's why the saying goes, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And when you ask, that's your number two is, especially in that initial meeting, don't ask for more than 20 minutes, right? It's 15 to 20 minutes and it's just for you to understand, hey, are me and this person looking at the world in somewhat the same way are me and this person sharing the same values, right? And when you can cut it off right at 15 to 20 minutes, the mentor or the person who might not be your mentor yet, because it takes them some time to get that relationship, appreciates that you're not wasting their time. Because the number one thing that we have, you know, again, is time that you can give back, right? So I think it's important to, to kind of be strict to that. And I think the last part is, not being afraid to only reach out to people who look like you, right? So I think one of the things, um, particularly when I was at West Point was, you know, for me as a black man, I wanted, you know, black male mentors. And then, you know, I said white male mentors and I, you know, white um, woman mentors and, and black women mentors and, and a variety of folks. And it was because your mentor can give you a perspective and a life experience that you can't quite understand or really have been exposed to. You know, I think it was one of the things I remember when I was, uh, when I was in Korea as a platoon leader, we helped my platoon, uh, helped to integrate the first women on peninsula in a field artillery combat job. And, you know, it was then I was like, Oh, you know, I need to reach out to, you know, Colonel Diane Ryan and, and be like, hey, how, how can I approach this? Is there something I'm missing? What advice would you have, you know, as far as leadership? So I think it's important to make sure you're reaching out to a variety of people. And I think it's important to, to kind of keep on track to that time, that 15 to 20 minutes to be able to glean if you're going to be on the same page and to just be bold and just to ask. So I was just saying that, Dan, those are all salient points. Um Thank you for that advice and those tips. I'm sure a lot of listeners will find those very helpful. Um, I also wonder, and this may throw a weird kind of wrench into the question, but do you think people should be seeking mentors or do you think we should kind of go with the flow and 
let things happen and just naturally build those relationships from, I don't know, existing networks? What do you think? Well, I think it's both, right? So, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to, you know, work at a particular place and or let's say you're interning at a place and you kind of get to know somebody because you're the senior director and next thing you know, you're in conversations, you work for them, things go well, they're in your network, they might introduce you to one more person, right? Let's say it's a governor or ambassador and you get to talk and that works. But then there's the other part of it that says, you know, it's a, an idiom that um, General Marty Dempsey believes, a former chief of staff that says, you know, leaders are biased to action, you know, so don't think that just going with the flow is going to get you exactly where it wants to be. Now, that flow might be huge and your network might be great and you're able to push through, but you have to be biased to action. So I think it's both. I think, yes, you rely, you're relying on your network, but also you're, you're jumping in head first and, and you're trying to get after it because that's what it takes. And, it, and if you're not doing it, then somebody else is. Absolutely. Great. Okay. Um, another follow-up question that I have is once you find an amazing mentor, how do you keep them? So maybe share some of the things that you, you know, might include in maybe a correspondence to a mentor or just different strategies for engaging them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the one thing that we, sometimes do as mentees is we want to brain dump in an email mm -hmm. like, Oh my goodness, sir, here's what's going on. I just need your help because da, 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 da. And it's, you know, for a person to respond to that email, it's like, you know, Hey, let's just get on the phone. Let's just talk through it. Or, or Hey, I can't, I can't sit down and write this email all at once in response. So I think there's different ways tactically that you can approach as far as maintaining your relationships. Right. So when in you're, you're not going to have more than like 10 or 15 mentors, right? Like you, you just don't have enough capacity to do that. Um, so one of the things that you can do is just create an Excel file and just do it to where, you know, every month you're talking to two or three mentors with an update, right? So you're saying, all right, hey, if I have 12 mentors, every month I'm, I'm talking to two. So that way, you know, every six months they're getting a check-in. And then within that time, if there's people who you want to specifically talk to about something. So let's say if your mentor has worked at the Department of Defense, you're in March of your graduate degree and you're about to graduate and you're really looking at Department of Defense, that email might be requesting a phone call. Right. But it's actually logging saying, okay, have I talked to this person? I think that's number one. I think the other part of it is. You know, and also more tactically on that email, it, it only needs to be like two paragraphs. You don't need to give them the, the, the whole, you know, everything that you're doing. It's just like, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm thinking about. You know, what do you think? Just make sure you're asking that question. Something in there. And I think the other thing, too, is when you see your mentor or somebody that you're that is going to become your mentor that you want to get close to does something notable or reputable then you should reach out to them, right? So, you know, as an example, there's somebody who wrote or who was on a podcast recently that I really enjoyed. So I wrote him an email and we had previously spoken um, in April prior to graduation. And I just shot him a quick email. I was, hey, sir, 
listened to it, thought it was great, and then, you know, really dig down into the, the finite details of like, here's what I thought about this one thing that you said, right? So that way it grabs their attention that like, hey, you actually care. So I think that's another way. I think a last thing, you know, to bring it back to Heist Gibson. So we just published an article yesterday in the Modern War Institute about black combat arms officers and it being a strategic problem and also strategic leadership and how the army selects them. Uh, individuals to be those senior leaders. And you can do things with your mentor, right? You can co-write an article. You can just help write and give them some background or, or throw some ideas around or, or maybe they have some time to look at some of your work that you're going to push out. Or maybe, you know, they're going and they're speaking at an event. And yeah, they might be zooming in and out, but you can be like, hey, you know, I see you're at this event. I'm going to be there can we talk for five minutes right beforehand? So I think it's being aware of what that mentor is doing and really plugging into them um, as much as possible. So all of this advice, wonderful, wonderful, rich advice, right? How to get a mentor, how to keep them, all of that jazz. But let's say you don't necessarily have the tough skin or the candor um, at this juncture required to really have a meaningful and impactful mentorship experience. How can you, or how would you suggest rather, that you build that emotional intelligence in order to be able to have those tough conversations and give, you know, good and productive um, and constructive criticism or um, suggestions to your mentee or mentor? Yeah, you know, it's hard, right? I mean, and I think, you know, we're the sum of all of our experiences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we might not have that opportunity to where people can be really sharp with us and we can be sharp with ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think the way you can try to see kind of where you stand is to start with peer mentorship, right? You know, talk to your friends and, ask them very candid questions, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, there's ways that you can kind of set up yourself. Let's say we use it from like a writing exercise, you know, kind of create a scenario to where maybe your friend is editing your paper and they don't know that it's your paper. Or maybe you edit a paper and you, you rip, it's yours, you rip it to shreds and ask your friend, man, I'm trying to help this person and it's actually you write this piece, what do you think of this, right? Because that way they're not couching their responses based on knowing that it's you. So I think if you can start with your peers and have a very honest dialogue, then you can start to understand, okay, how do I feel when somebody says something that really hurts, that I wasn't prepared for, you know? And how can I understand that, you know, what's the difference between being mean Versus being sharp. Yeah. You know, and it's hard because, you know, they say, oh, it's never personal, right? So like mentorship is one of the most personal things that you can do, but it's for the most part about your professional career. So I think it's, it is difficult, but I think you can start with your peers. With your family, it's a little bit harder because they're your family, right? There, yeah. there really is little that you can do there, I think, unless you, uh, you know, can figure that out on your own, but everybody's family dynamic is different. So. But I think you start with your peers and you just have those conversations or, and it doesn't need to be a peer that's a friend. It might be somebody who 
you're in an organization with. Let's say if you're like you're in a fraternity or you're in an interest group or in a sorority. And there might be somebody who you've known for like a year, or you might have met up drinks a couple of times and just shoot them a line. Right. And just kind of explain to me like, hey, like I'd love like some honest feedback on this. And I don't know who else to go to because everybody else already knows exactly kind of what the full picture is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think um creating those scenarios along different like race and gender lines could also help too because people oh, have sure. different perspectives, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Awesome. Alrighty. Um kind of a personal question. Um what in your view, of course, what mistakes have you made as a mentee or mentor? Um and what did you learn from them? I know just in you talking about, you know, how to engage mentors, um and the whole brain dump email type of situation. I am humble enough to admit that I uh, have been guilty of that a a couple of times in my younger years. So um, what about for you? Guilty as charged. That's where it comes from. Um, I definitely did that. And I got a one sentence response uh, from somebody who was starting to become my mentor. That was, you know, pretty sharp. That was like, rewrite your email, talk soon. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I should have looked at that before I, I, I pressed send. So I think, you know, there's a couple of things. I think as, as a mentee, what I've done wrong is, or what I've kind of the mistakes that I've made that I've learned from, I think is reaching out and not knowing what I'm actually reaching out for, like not actually having a reason, just like, I just want to build a relationship and not, and in that not being authentic. Right. So like not actually being authentic in what you're approaching the person with. So I think as a mentee, it's like, hey, am I reaching out to this person merely because they're the former ambassador to NATO? Or am I reaching out to them because I'm actually interested in European security? And I think PESCO is a phenomenal security arrangement. And I want to talk to somebody who's on the cutting edge. And I'm that's what I want to dedicate interesting you know so i think as a mentee a lot of it just comes down to being authentic um i think as a mentor i think you know there's two things i think that i struggle with um one is being too sharp in my approach and being too candid um i think kind of growing up from 18 to to 28 in the military um, we're used to talking in a certain way that is very direct and to the point. And it's because, you know, that's how we want to reach people. So I think it's for me to ensure that I'm reaching mentees where they are. And I think that's important. And I think on, and, and the other part, I think kind of some of my mistakes is for a long time, a lot of my mentee population has only been men. And I'm trying to explore and figure out how I can mentor more women. Um, you know, it's just the circles that I've been in. So now I'm trying to see how I can do a better job with that. So that's what I would say. For, uh, for sharing that, I think just to give my little two cents on that, on that point, um, when I first started mentoring folks, um, it was a little bit difficult to not, um, and I don't, I don't want to say push, but to kind of push, um, 
some of my interests and see if they were also interested in that same thing, if that makes any sense. So kind of not derailing their plans per se, but, you know, saying, hey, this is interesting and you should really pay attention to this rather than just truly listening and um, guiding them through their own thoughts and goals and then having them come up with their own plans, so to speak, just being like a sounding board that kind of pushes them to explore those thoughts. Um, and that kind of, yeah, th that's not a good thing, right? You want people to, to form their own, their own way and, and kind of go through that process with them. Um, and that's one thing I can definitely say I appreciate greatly um, from my current mentor, um, Adrian Fames, just to, to put that out there. She's awesome. Um, and part of WCAPS as well. But um, that kind of leads into my next question um, with just my own kind of mistake in the past. What do you think about um, backup plans versus sticking to the plan? So, you know, you mentioned in, you mentioned in our, our larger panel discussion a while back um, that, you know, mentors are there to kind of help you um, and guide you to follow realistic plans and kind of, you know, give you the real deal, the truth, the bare bones truth. Um, do you think that sometimes mentors unintentionally like derail plans and, and that this could be done to the mentee's detriment? I don't know. This might be a really random question, but. Yeah, I, you know, I think it is an interesting question. I think kind of back to the point that you are making as far as that mistake of kind of telling people what your plan or kind of putting your ideas into them. I can think specifically about a mentee who I have and we were going back and forth about policy school versus law school. Right. And it was okay. You know, which is it you want to do? Which is it you want to do? And, it, and a lot of that comes from, well, what is it that you actually want? Right. And what you want, particularly folks that are working in international affairs is impact. What you're seeking is an individual role. So very often when you're coming into it, you know, you're like, man, you know, I, I want to be the next national security advisor to the president. But really it, you need to look at it not in terms of role, but and to have the singular plan and how you're going to get somewhere, but more in fact of, okay, so I want, so you take the National Security Advisor role as an example. You know, their role is to be an advisor who runs an interagency process that provides the president with counsel on matters of national security. If you distill that a little bit further, you could say, so it is basically the national security whisperer of a decision maker. So with that person, they might be trying to find and to talk to and to, you know, to be Kissinger or, or to be, you know, Bolton or, or to be what our national security advisor is. But instead, it might be, wow, maybe that role is to be the foreign policy advisor to a senator or to a congresswoman, or maybe it's not actually in government. Maybe that impact that you want to have in the room is you are the global macro advisor to a bank, 
into the C-suite, or maybe it's to an international company, a multinational company, and you're talking to them about international markets, right? So it's more about what is it that the impact you want to have, not what the individual role is. Because if you're just chasing a role, you're when you get there, then what? Right. So let's say if you become, if you're chasing this role and to go with it, if you become the national security, if I were to become the national security advisor to, let's say, the next presidential administration, right? Now at 32, let's say I do that role for four years, which would entirely long time. Let's say, but let's say I do it for four years. Now at 36, what do I do? I'm no longer the national security advisor. So now I've already reached that. So, you know, it's, it's not that it's a journey, not a destination, but it's rather it's how do you know what your impact would like to be? So that way, when you're talking to mentors, they can understand on what that is supposed to be. And they can help inform and say, okay, hey, I know you want to do this. How does this fit into your impact model? Yeah, so if that makes sense. That's great. Very wise words from my friend Dan here. You heard it here first. Um, that is spot on, I think. I think a lot of people do focus on the role um, and not the impact. And especially when you're looking for a mentor, a lot of people look at, um, oh, you know, what's their job position? This is what I aspire to be. And that's where sometimes it can get a little muddy in terms of, you know, a mentor kind of just sharing you know, their journey and the steps that they took to get to wherever they are now, it, n nothing is that linear, right? And not everybody's going to take the same steps. Um, at all. At all. I remember when I was at the German Marshall Fund, we had a conversation with Derek Chalet, um, you know, former uh, DASD for International Security Affairs, phenomenal, um, phenomenal mind. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, when your career, you know, it's a little bit like jazz. You know, you know where you're trying to go, but you just, you just got to have some fun and figure out how to get there. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you know, you can't give the drummer a solo four times, right? Like, you know, that doesn't make sense. So you kind of have to change it up a little. So, you know, like when I, you know, to get a personal, like for, for me, it's like, okay, I have three bins that I care about deeply, right? So it's mm -hmm. national security, you know, black folks and leader development. Mm -hmm. So thinking about it in terms of impact, I know that any job that I'm in, I can probably do two, but I won't be able to do the third. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I think about that and I think about roles in terms that are matching with those impact to get in those bins, it's like, OK, I could be a national security advisor to a member or to POTUS, or I could be a policy school dean and be an academic be in academia, or I could be an SVP of a defense company or a columnist, or I could lead a nonprofit, right? It means a variety of things, but it's how are my three bins, because you're only going to have about two to four, how can I codify that impact and then go out and find roles that make sense and then go back to what Derek Chalet was saying and then get into that jazz, and say, okay, you know, I've done hardcore national security for this much and this much role. Hey, I need to work on my writing and get a little bit of a public profile. Or, hey, I need to get dig back into the academics. 
or hey, you know, I need to go into the the financial plant, the financial piece, and really understand the defense industrial base. So I think it's important to say, okay, you know, what are my bins that I care about? What is the impact that I want to have? And now let me find those roles and figure out how I can get into those environments. Awesome. Great, great steps. Um, and this leads me to my final question okay. um, for this particular conversation. Um, when you're thinking, when thinking about being a mentor, do you think there's like an all knowing, like final boss level or do you think <laughs> it's like an evolutionary thing? And I guess I would ask the same about men being a mentee. I mean, that's, you know, one of the things I remember distinctly uh, when I was at West Point, walking in to talk to, so I had one mentor is, you know, Colonel Ice Gibson at the time was a major, was a math professor. And the other one was Colonel Irving Smith, who is the uh, head of the sociology program. I was a sociology major. And I would, you know, I would talk to Ice Gibson pretty frequently. And, and I talked to Colonel Smith a little bit less frequently because he was a little bit higher ranking and you know he was just busier by kind of nature of what it was. I remember going in to talk to Colonel Irving Smith. And when I walked past his office to knock on the door, then Major High Gibson was sitting in the chair talking to him. They were in completely different departments, one's in math, one's in sociology, and he was getting mentorship. Right. So it's this idea of even your mentors have mentors, mm -hmm. you know, so and and, you know, to go the other side, even your mentees have mentees, mm -hmm. you know, so I think it's important for you to understand that this really never ends. And, you know, you don't have a super mentor or final boss, but, you know, you have kind of a board of advisors, mm -hmm. right? And you have folks that have diversity that you can appreciate. And they have diversity that can provide you with guidance and insight and some wisdom to when you make that next step, you're like, okay, wow, I haven't considered this or I haven't considered that. So I, I think, no, it's, uh, it is definitely evolutionary. There is no final boss <laughs> that you have, you know, and I think one of the most incredible feelings that you can have is when you have a mentor whom you look up to and it's kind of your person. Mm -hmm. um, or one, two of your people. And then when the conversation relationships really gets going, they talk about their mentorship and how they approach that situation. You're like, wow, even they have somebody that they talk to, you know? So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, being a mentee, both a mentee and a mentor, I oftentimes um, learn from my mentor and pass on, you know, some of that great advice and some of those listening techniques, quite frankly, um, to my, to my mentee. So it's, there's always something to learn. There's always a way to adjust. I think I've emphasized in other discussions. So forgive me if you've heard me say this a thousand times, <laughs> but I mean, even the most senior person at an organization has something to learn from someone else and and that someone else could be a junior staff member. I mean, there's just no, there's no hierarchy or limit to, to that. So I definitely agree. And I just thought I would throw that in there for fun, but yeah. So 
keep in mind, folks, being a mentee or being a mentor, there's some, there's always something to learn and you're just always going to evolve. Um, Dan, before we go, I want to ask if you have any final takeaways or, you know, a point of advice for our listeners here. You know, I think the final thing is to be bold and also to understand that imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. And, you know, we all struggle with it. So, you know, be bold in your actions, be biased to action so you can so you can overcome that. I mean, I still haven't overcome it, but I think there's ways that you can be like, hey, this is a familiar feeling. No, I am supposed to be here. Um, I remember a conversation that I had with some folks and I was applying to NATO um, to go over to Brussels as a policy, uh, as a policy analyst. And one of the things it says is, you, you know, you have to have, you know, supreme command of one language and an elementary understanding of another. And those two languages are English and French. I do not speak French. I, I polyvoo is about all I can say. So. A friend of mine was like, hey, why are you, you know, what are you applying to? And we were talking about it. And, and, you know, they were like, well, do you speak French? And I said, no. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, if I get an email back and tells me I have an interview in 48 hours, I'm going to learn elementary French. <laughs> you know, so I think it's you have to be bold, yeah. you know, and really jump after things because the the reality is we are in a booming industry and security and national security and foreign policy and international affairs, whatever you want to call it, is becoming more intertwined every day. So there are positions and there are things out there that everybody's going after and you are too. So just be as bold as you possibly can and and try to try to build that community of support. Great point. Yeah, I agree. Being bold is critical and if you're not going to be bold somebody else will be bold in your mm-hmm. place so amen to that um thank you so much dan this was a joy it's always a pleasure having these you know more intellectual and, and fun conversations with you and you know maybe we'll see you on another podcast soon hey thanks so much for having me i'm, I'm glad i'm able to uh contribute to wcaps um, really in any way I can. So uh, I look forward to the next one. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Bye, right, everybody. Bye. All right.